Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. As a believer in Jesus and as a member of his church, you and I must realize that God is in control of everything. I remember having to preach that and reminding people of that, even reminding myself of that after the elections and after we have seen so many things going on. And now throughout the week, we now know that our former president was acquitted for a second time, whether you love it or hate it, it's part of of our government. And the truth of the matter is, as a church, we need to love them. And we also need we need to love those who voted for the impeachment and we need to love those who voted against it. We need to love those that they tried to impeach, and we need to love those who are in office. We need to pray for them regardless of how we voted. Look, we can vote. We can vote our conscience. We can vote our convictions. And you feel free to air them among your friends. But if people are going to know you more for your political stance than your stance on Jesus, then you're talking about the wrong subject. And that's what we are reminded about today as we look at the book of Revelation. And so we must remember that God is in control. That there is a plan, that he has an end game, and there is a finish line that we must run the race. I've seen uh, several of our guys compete in sports events. Uh, my favorite one is football, and you know that if you've ever watched football and you have any working knowledge of football, you know that there are four quarters, and that on those four quarters you have to give all you can until those four quarters are up. And you know at the end of those four quarters... You either can either win the game or lose the game by what you've done. I think it's so unfair. If there was any position on a football team I would not want to be, is the kicker. Because the kicker, it doesn't matter what the lineman did or what the quarterback did. When it comes down to that one field goal or that one extra point, and that guy goes, and he kicks it, and everybody's breath is being held, and then when it goes right or left or it hits the goal, it goes, boom. And you're like, oh, and then you'll hear the coaches in the interview say, well, that kicker's a piece of garbage. Or you'll hear them say, if we just had one more minute, we could have won the game. Folks, I'm telling you, there's not going to be another minute. There's not going to be another attempt. And when the game is over, the game is over. There are no respawns. There are no do-overs. It's done. And God is revealing that to us in the book of Revelation. And the only way that we can face the book of Revelation with hope today, the only way that we can find hope in the message that I'm about to share with you is to believe that Jesus holds all the power. And the end of this world, He wins the war. He is victorious. He is the one and only. And when we draw our last breath, we will be with Him again. Because he's going to return and he's going to bring us unto himself. And although Jesus gave this revelation of himself to John over 2,000 years ago, it still stands today. And Jesus is more alive, my friend, than he has ever been. So if you came in today and maybe you got the rain blahs, you know, I get them too, man. When we were watching the news this weekend and the weather and she just kept saying rain and rain and rain. I'm like, be quiet. I hate rain. I don't know about y'all, but sometimes my mood goes down. The more rain, the more down I become. And and I realize that, so I'm trying to, to push myself back up. But I have to remember that we need the rain because God is sending it. And I don't know why. 
But the truth of the matter is, whether you have got that that rain fog in your mind today, I want to remind you that Jesus is more alive today than he has ever been. And he is preparing his church. He is preparing Holman Park Baptist Church. He is preparing you for his return. So we must get ready. I know that uh, being in the fire department, when we get news that there's going to be a storm or a possibility of a tornado or, or bad windstorms and all these things, we, we go into preventative mode. We, we make sure all the trucks have fuel. We make sure all the, the gas-powered equipment, especially the saws, work. I tell you what, when we have a storm in here and trees fall, you ought to see some of these firefighters tear up some of these trees. They, it, for some of them, it is a it is a work of art. But those are things that we do to prepare for the storm. What are you doing to prepare for storms? Do you get batteries? Do you get uh, non-perishable foods? Do you board up windows? Do you do all these things? We all make preparations for when we know things things are coming. So why do we not pray, prepare for the return of the Lord? Because He is coming, and He is warning you to get your soul. Right today, if you're watching by video, he's telling you today to make sure your soul is right today and that you are ready for his return because he is alive and he is returning. So Revelation today is a book of hope. It is a warning. It is a progression of road signs along life's highway pointing you towards your final destination. So we left last week where... There were three terrors. The scriptures say that there were three terrors, or some translations say woes. We left our passage in chapter 8 of Revelation, where John writes, Then I looked and I heard a single eagle loudly crying as it flew through the air, Terror, terror, terror to all who belong to this world, because what will happen with the last three angels blow their trumpets? And so what we are seeing today and next week are the, the, what this eagle is crying about. In other words, you think it's bad, just wait till you see what's coming. You see, the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh trumpet judgments are referred to as, some translations say, the three woes. It's not like woe, like you're telling somebody to back up. Woe as in, oh, woe is me. Or, this is terrible, this is a terror. And that's what these last three are known for. So if you are someone who has rejected God's offer of salvation to his son, Jesus Christ, who sacrificed his body so that yours would be saved, then this means that you are going to have to go through all of this that we've been talking about. Because at this point, the church has already been raptured and those who refused God's offer are left behind. So imagine, if you will, You're one of those that are left behind in the great tribulation. And you pick up a copy of God's word and you can identify that the first four trumpet judgments have been released. You see the world is falling apart. Our entire ecological system is failing. The skies that once helped tell time and the season and help people on the ocean navigate no longer shine in the same pattern. Nature is not working as it should, and you now realize when you read these revelations that it's going to get worse. Can you imagine the despair of thinking, how much worse can it get? And God says, much, much more. So let's jump into our text this morning. The first thing that we see is unimaginable 
evil will be unleashed. Unimaginable evil will be unleashed. In verses 1 through 12 of chapter 9. As we read verses 1 and 2, we see that the fifth trumpet brings the first terror or the first woe, depending on what translations you use. It says, then the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star that had fallen to earth from the sky and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Some translations call this bottomless pit the underworld. So when he opened it, smoke poured out as though from a huge furnace and the sunlight and the air turned dark from all the smoke. So as we look at those first two verses, our first topic is the star. The star that had fallen to earth is a fallen angel. It is an angel, a messenger from God that has fallen from heaven and has now fallen to earth. You see, and the thing is, is that we don't know specifically who this was. But the thing is, the identity of this fallen angel is not as important as what he is doing. The identity of this fallen angel is not as important as what he is doing. When it says a star that had fallen from the sky, it represents a being that had fallen from heaven. Notice of all the angels that are notated here in the scriptures of Revelation that no one is given the status of fallen. A fallen angel. Commentators are all over the map when it comes to the identity of this fallen star and who it represents. Some say it's Satan, while others say it's Jesus, or another says it's some important angelic being. It could be Satan. It could be Jesus. It could be a bad angel. It could be a good angel. But again, the identity of the fallen angel is not as important as what he is doing. Again, As we see a lot of times in Scripture, especially in Revelation, if God wanted you to know specifically who the star was, he would have told you. But he didn't. So it's not as important as what this star is doing. And so we see that when you give somebody keys, like, for example, when um, some of our new deacons come on or if we get a new staff member, or we get somebody new at the church that needs to get access to the church, we give them a key to the church. If somebody wants to use our facilities, we give them the key to the church. This, And we say, here is the key. You've got to sign it out. You've got responsibility for it. But this, this is the parameters on which you can use them. That doesn't mean they own the church or they have the key. They can't come in and say, this is my fellowship hall for the weekend because I got the key. And so the thing is, is with this key that is given to this angel for the bottomless pit, I want you to understand a few things. Is that we do know, however, that whoever this key was given to, to the the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit, they are under God's control. When it says the shaft of the bottomless pit, look at it kind of like as you've probably seen on the old westerns or the old movies. They show the old mine shafts where you walk up and there's a padlock and wood and all the stuff on the door that goes into the mine. Well, imagine that door and somebody has a key to it and they open it up and all of that smoke and heat and fire come out of that. In that abyss, in that bottomless pit are the worst of the worst demons that have ever existed. 
And so there, there's an idea that goes on in this world that, that I want to go ahead and tell you is not true. For some reason, it may be because of Hollywood. It may be because of the way we were raised. It may be because of what we've seen. But for some reason, we think that with good and evil, that God is in control of heaven and Satan is in control of hell. Satan's got his, his desk and he's a CEO and he's barking out orders. Or he's got his throne and he's, he's ruling his evil, his evil whatever over all of hell. Folks, hell is not Satan's. Hell is God's. God is the God of hell. God is the God of heaven. God created heaven. God created hell. And God will send evil there. God will send Satan there. And right now Satan is working, but he's only doing what God has allowed him to do. Just because someone has the key to the gates of the abyss doesn't mean that they are in charge of it. So do not think that there is some evil, red, horned, pitchfork, tailed kind of being running everything in heaven, turning up the heat and laughing while he does it. That's not what hell is. Hell is a place for people who reject the will of God. It was created by God and God runs it just as he does heaven as well. So whoever holds the key, whoever this angelic being is, this fallen angel, whoever it is, even if it's Satan himself, is not in control of the abyss. He has just got the keys and he's carrying out what God has told him to do. The next thing we see is that the vilest of evil is contained in the abyss. In verses 3 through 6. We see, then locusts came from the smoke and descended on the earth, and they were given power to sting like scorpions. They were told not to harm the grass or plants or trees, but check this out, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. If this is your first time back to church in a while, you may not remember a couple weeks ago where we talked about the 144,000. Those Jews that God sealed and protected for the great tribulation, unless you were one of them or one of their followers that have been sealed by God, then these murder hornets, or I mean these murder locusts, these demonic things are coming after you. And, and here's the thing with locusts, they don't attack people. You ever heard of a, a locust attacking someone? Now, there are places where there have been swarms of them. Maybe someone will... Swallow them, choke on one, and, and all this other nasty stuff. But locusts really are not known as predators, so to speak. But in this day, whatever is coming out of that bottomless pit, whatever is the vilest, worst, heinous, demon-type being it is, it's coming out. And it's on the hunt. Not for animals, not for vegetation, but for the people of, of, of the world who are unsealed. And notice it says they were told not to kill them, but torture them for five months. Did you know that the average lifespan of a locust is a couple of months? When you get five or six months, that's pretty much the end stage of a locust. And so here we see five months. And it says, with the pain like the sting of a scorpion, in those days people will seek death 
but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Now, this is very minor to some people, but, you know, I, I'm sounding like an old man. I'm talking about my medical problems, but every now and then I'll have a gout flare up. If any of y'all ever had gout, you'll know how terrible that is to where, like, in the one joint of my toe, it'll take me out. And I'm like, if it flares up for two or three days, I'm praying this prayer. I'm saying, God, take me out. Fix me. When I had kidney stones, God, you can either let me have the lymphotriptic surgery or put a bullet in my head. I will be fine. Either way, give me some relief. Now, I don't want anybody to put a bullet in my head. Don't want anybody to say, Donna, oh, is he okay? I'm fine. I'm just telling you. We've all been in pain where we're just like, please give me some relief. And that's the way it's going to be with, with these stings and the way that, that these locusts are hunting people. They're going to want to die but they're not going to be able to. The fact that they're a plague of locusts or things that look like locusts is a callback to the plagues in Egypt. Also, in the book of Joel, he prophesies this very swarm of locusts in Joel chapter 2, if you want to go and read about that. But locusts in the Bible are generally known for attacking crops, which in turn have a negative impact on wildlife, farming, and eventually ruin the starvation of those who are affected. But here we see something different. They are sent to target humans, not to kill them, just to torture them. Isn't it amazing as as God created locusts, with them only being able to live several months, even in that there is mercy. That even in that they can only hurt you for a while until they die off. God sets limits to their destruction, both in their intensity and their duration. So John is describing these murder locusts the best way he can from what he sees. Well, what he has seen. This doesn't mean that there are going to be actual locusts coming out of the pit. But he says they look like them. Revelation chapter 9 verse 7. As we continue in our passage, it says, The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. When you see the term horses in the Bible... The horse was known as a, a, an animal of war. That when you saw horses and chariots, that would be the equivalent today of seeing armored transports and Abrams tanks and all of these other great and grand warfare rolling through the battle. And it says they had what looked like gold crowns on their heads and their faces looked like human faces. They had hair like women's hair, teeth like the teeth of a lion. They wore armor made of iron, and their wings roared like an army of chariots rushing into battle. Some people will read this, and when they read that um, part about their wings roared like an army of chariots, some people believe it may be helicopters. Some people believe that these may be some type of futuristic tank. But it says they had tails that stung like scorpions, and for five months they had the power to torment people. Their king is the angel from the bottomless pit. His name is in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek it is Apollyon, which basically means the destroyer. So we see that these locusts, what these things that are like locusts, they have some type of rank, they have some type of rank and file, and they have some type of leader. So clearly, whatever John is seeing, they're not your normal run-of-the-mill locusts. It could be helicopters. It could be drones. It could be actual troops fighting from certain countries. 
But most likely, they are super evil demonic forces. The fact that their faces were human, like in the description, it was often used in that day when they would write to denote special, super, spiritual, supernatural power. For example, if you have ever seen pictures of the sphinxes in Egypt, you have the the lion body and the head of a person. Or you'll see the body of somebody and then the, the head of a, a fox or something like that. And then even in, in other cultures, you will see human attributes mixed with horses and scorpions, as, as John is doing here. So what we see from this is that whatever they're seeing is something that they have not seen before. And it's something that they can't explain. And it's something supernatural. And they have a leader, as we see. It's Abaddon, meaning the destroyer. This means out of the vilest places where God keeps the worst demons captive, when they are released, they are led by death. Because that was kind of the the meaning of Abaddon, was death. However, remember this. Even though death is going to be leading these forces, Jesus has conquered death. Next, we see that God allows bad things to happen in our lives to draw us back to him. Again, I I want to drive this point home because when you're reading this and maybe you're watching this or you're even thinking, man, James, is it time for us to eat yet? No, you've got a few more minutes. But let me tell you what, when you read this, you're like, man, this is heavy. Let's go back to some fluffy old uh, uh, loving verses for Valentine's. How, how How can I look at my honey and be sweet talking about Revelation? Look, I'm I'm telling you, there is love and there is hope in this passage. And God allows bad things to happen in our lives to draw us back to him. You don't believe me? Look at your own life. Look at some of the things you've had to endure that at the time were not pleasant, that were not great. But look at where you are now. You're in a church in Homeland Park Baptist Church in Anderson, South Carolina, listening to a red-headed, red-faced preacher talk about Revelation. And you're actually getting something out of it. That's because God has got, has got a plan for you. His hand is upon you. What do we know? We know that God tortures the unsaved. The unsealed people during the Great Tribulation Why does he do that? Why is God torturing these people in the great tribulation? Hear me now. To lead them to repentance. You ever heard of the term tough love? The reason this is so so over the top is because look at everything God has done to give people a chance. And people are still not taking it. So he's saying, okay, look, I'm going to punish you so that you will see that you need me. If you've ever been a parent or a guardian of somebody that's had to execute tough love to your child or somebody that's under you, you know exactly what God is doing here. He's saying, look, this is a a result of your actions or your inaction, but I love you and I want you to return to me. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But folks, I hate to tell you this, it keeps getting worse. It keeps getting worse. The next thing we see is that God's will continues to roll on. 
in verses 13 through 19. It says, The sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the gold altar that stands in the presence of God. The golden altar represents the incense altar, which provides a continuation of the prayers of the saints we talked about last week. So when it's talking about this altar, there's several altars that are referenced in this book. This is not the altar of sacrifice where you sprinkle the blood on it and you ask for the forgiveness of sins. This is the altar, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago where they had the big gold pot with the holes in it and they would put the coals in it and the incense on top of it and that sweet-smelling incense would come out and that would represent the presence of God among them. This is a, a an incense altar that they're speaking about here. And if you remember, it said that that smoke was the prayers of God's people. And so the golden altar here represents the continuation of the prayers that you and I have even prayed. Your prayers are part of this that's happening. Prayerfully, we will be caught up and we will be looking at this from the good seats. Not right in the middle of it. But either way, what we do know this is that when we pray for God's will to be done, even in our life, this is part of God's will. You cannot escape this. We see the four fallen angels here. It says in verse 14, And the voice said to the sixth angel, by the way, the voice is Jesus Christ. And the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates River. There's two key things I want you to key in here on. It says that the angels are bound. There is no good heavenly angel that has ever been bound. So we know that these are fallen angels. These are demonic. These are evil forces that all they want to do is hunt, kill, and destroy. And so what we're going to see here is God is letting the dogs loose. And then when it says the Euphrates River, there's significance there, I'll say in just a minute. But then the four angels who had been prepared for this hour and day and month and year were turned loose to kill one third of all the people of the earth. I heard the size of their army, which was 200 million mounted troops. Here's something I've never been very good at fractions, but check this out. Here it says that one third of the people are killed. In Revelation chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, one fourth of the people were killed. So if you put one third and one fourth together, that means over one half of all the people in the world will have been killed by God's great judgment. And we're only three and a half years into the seven year judgment. There's going to be a lot of killing. There's going to be a lot of people Seeing what happens when God removes his protection from this earth. Why the Euphrates River, you might ask. The importance of this area in scripture cannot be overlooked. The area that this is happening is where many believe that the Garden of Eden was somewhere in this area. The sin of man began here. The first murder was committed here. The first war was brought here. And here is where the flood began and began to spread all over the earth. The Babylonians, who were known for their idolatry and their, their harsh treatment of the Israelites when they had held them captive, 
This is where the Tower of Babel was erected. And when the Israelites were brought out of Babylon captivity, they were brought to this area. So here is where we find the final surge of sin on this earth during the Great Tribulation. Verse 17. And in my vision I saw horses and the riders sitting on them. The riders wore armor that were fiery red and dark blue and yellow. The horses had heads like lions and fire and smoke and burning sulfur billowed. From their mouths. One third of the people on the earth were killed by these three plagues. By the fire and the smoke and the burning sulfur that came from the mouths of the horses. Their power was in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails had heads like snakes. I do not like that. For the tails had heads like snakes with power to injure people. These 200 million troops could conceivably be gathered Today, if you think about China and the population that he has, and if you combine several countries, a, a, a troop of, of this size is not too far off from happening. Could it be a literal war with literal troops from literal countries? It could be. But again, it could just be straight angelic evil forces that have been pent up in that pit, the abyss, the bottomless pit. The third thing that we see as we close today, stubborn souls will refuse to repent. And I don't get it. I don't understand it. I guess it's because I've been in the truth so long and I've seen what the benefit is of of having Jesus to where if, and I've said this a million times, this will be a million and one. If I found out tomorrow, if I died tomorrow and I found out that all of this church stuff and Jesus stuff was a lie, I wouldn't change one thing because my life living with Christ is so much better than I was living with my own. But if it is true, whew, I do not see how people can still refuse to repent. Yes, even a casual reading of this passage references the awful wickedness of mankind that takes place even in the midst of God's judgment. You would think with all this stuff and the world falling apart that people would be flocking to the churches, flocking to the sealed people to to be saved. But they're not. They're continuing to dig in deeper. Check out verses 20 and 21. But the people who did not die in these plagues, they still refused to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. They continued to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, and stone, and wood. Idols that can either see or hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Now, when I think about that, I think I remember several Months ago when they had, what, the chop zone in Seattle? Wasn't it Seattle? Where they had no police presence. It was total martial law. And people taking law into their own hands. People were getting killed. People who had the biggest gun and the loudest mouth were getting in charge. And that was just baby stuff compared to what this day is going to be like. Can you imagine when the whole world is a chop zone? In the last days, people will be religious, but not biblical. I want to make sure that I, I, I explain this as we close our time today. Number one, 
we see by this text that demonic worship will run rampant. And you'll say, well, preacher, we're, we're in church. We're not going to be, we don't worship demons. We, we're not in demonic worship. But my friend, I'll tell you what, if we worship anything other than God, we are worshiping idols, which is demonic. It's not too far of a stretch. Look at your paycheck. I mean, not look at your paycheck, but look at your checkbook. Look at your bank statement. Look at your your schedule, look at your phone on your calendar app and see where your time and where your money is going. And that's going to be what you worship. Many false teachers and religious people will look like they are spiritual while they allow their followers to further commit acts that are against God's word. If you are a part of a group that worships and says that all this in here, (coughs) you can sidestep it. Because it's old and outdated, we've got a better way. You better run away from that organization or that whatever you call it. Because people will be, dis- will be discarding God's word, but people will think it is an act of worship. I don't know whether it will be in the, the one world church that will exist during this time. I don't know. But the truth of the matter is, that whether it be on purpose or unknowingly, people will be worshiping Satan. And Satan just loves to be worshipped. So God in His permissive will will allow Satan to do a great many things during this time. People will worship the work of their own hands. People will right and wrong. The right and wrong will be based on social opinion and not God's Word. What do the polls say? What do my favorite celebrities say? What is the latest trending on Twitter or Facebook or TikTok? I want to make sure that I'm woke like everybody else. I want to make sure that my Instagram looks like this celebrity's Instagram. I don't want anybody, to, and some of you people, the older people are going, what is he talking about? But the truth of the matter is, there's so many people that just, they want to be like everybody else so they don't have to stand out. And during these days, sin will not be called sin. Hell will not be called hell. And all of the events of the great tribulation will be interpreted by the spiritually tone deaf to explain it as some other way. You never know when the rapture comes, they may explain it as alien abduction. It could happen. When some of these things, when, when the nature is falling apart, they may say, oh, see, we told you, global warming. Y'all had to use those aerosol cans, didn't you? Some of you are not old enough to remember that, but they told us if we used aerosol cans, we're killing the ozone, and we're all going to our faces are going to fry off. I'm not trying to make light of those issues. We do have issues. We need to be good stewards of the earth that God has given us. But at the same time, there will come a day where that'll be the only explanation for why these things are happening, and they'll try to use it instead of honoring what God's word says. Judges 21:25 says in those days Israel had no king all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes if there was ever a scripture to describe today it would be that scripture we are not that far from Israel folks the unrepentant that we see here they are casualties of little sins that they allowed to creep into their lives and take root to the point of overtaking them. No one wakes up one day and says, you know what? 
I plan, I'm, I'm now in middle school, I plan by the time I'm in my 20s, I'm going to be a serial killer. That's what I want to be. There's nobody that plans and says, you know what? I'm, I'm talking to newlyweds and they're looking at each other with love in their eyes. It is Valentine's Day. And I'm talking with them and they're thinking, oh, this is so sweet. And we're in love and we're in love and everything is great. No one says, you know what, preacher? We hope that in about five years we'll be divorced and we can split all our assets down the middle. Or they don't say, you know what, preacher? When our children are old enough to understand that we're too selfish... That that's when we're going to break apart. No one does that. No one plans to fail like that. But it's those little minute by minute decisions to not take God at his word and to take your own way, to take your selfish way. And those little bitty choices lead you to a place that is a huge abandonment and unrepentant heart. Sunday after Sunday and other moments when you hear God's word preached and when you your friends hear God's word preached and that, that little Holy Spirit pricks your heart and says, look, you need to do something about that. Every time you say, no, I'll do it later. I'm afraid about what people will think. I don't, I, I don't know if that's me. And when you start to squash that fire that the Holy Spirit is putting in your heart, you are one step closer to the unrepentant people that are pictured here in Revelation. They didn't start as unrepentant. But it was a decision over time after time after time. Don't be like the hard-hearted in these verses today. You think it will never be you. But it starts with each little sin you latch on to. And each time you refuse to repent from them. It's not one big grand decision to not repent of your sin. It's a gradual slide. So do not let your stubborn soul lead you to your eternal demise. Do not let your stubborn soul lead you to your eternal demise. Folks, find God's love and peace as he calls for you to return to him today. We're going to do something that we haven't done in a long time. We're going to have an invitation. And if the Lord is working in your heart and you want to come and pray at this altar, you can If you want to pray with me, you can. I'll put my shirt up like this. But I'd like for you to stand. If God is working on your life, maybe he's calling you to repent. Maybe he's calling you to make a decision for him. This is your opportunity to do that today.